Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are our Father and that you speak to us as your children. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word and that this morning we can investigate, we can grapple with it, we can um, hear you speaking uh, as you spoke to the people of Israel of old and as you speak to us today. We pray, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear what this, what you have to say. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts to receive what you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that the meditations of our hearts um, would be pleasing uh, in your sight. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. It's a bit of a... A bit of an awkward passage this morning, if you if you saw the Bible reading, a lot of talk about circumcision and blood and stuff. And so we're going to talk about it a fair bit more this morning, just to give you a heads up, in case you didn't realise that already. But um, you might be forgiven if you if you go through and you read the sorry, if you go through and you when you read the story of Exodus and you. As you, as you read the narrative, you might be forgiven that, for thinking that our passage this morning is a kind of a, a transition, like a bit of a montage that kind of sets up the next part of the story. But it's a bit more than that. This, this passage is a story in and of itself. This is a, this is a journey. This is a journey that, uh, that Moses and his family walks on. It's a story and it's a story of exile to redemption. We have here Moses going from limbo uh, into his purpose. We have the transfer from from the profane to the sacred. This is a story of the Messiah with a shady past who steps out to accept his rightful mantle in redemption. This morning, this story is God's Messiah on God's mission for God's salvation. Now, you might think it's odd that I'm talking about Moses as a Messiah, because normally when we talk about Messiah, we talk about Jesus, or, or, or when we talk about a Christ, we talk about Jesus. But this morning, I'm talking about Moses as a Messiah. But even though it might sound a bit unnatural to our ears, in the biblical context, this is very natural. Moses was the first, their first Messiah. Moses was a person who came, he was sent to a people in bondage and slavery, and through the power of God, he freed them. Through the power of God, their enemies would be overthrown. This Messiah, Moses, would mediate a covenant which binds them to God. And in the midst of it all, there is blood, innocent blood. Blood on the knife, blood on the door, bloody hands, but blood that brings redemption, life, and freedom. So this this story this morning, we see God's Messiah on God's mission for God's salvation. And like any good story today, our story has shades of ambiguity. It has things where we're not quite sure what is going on. And even after even after we read the story and we think, oh, that's easy, and then you think back and you go, well, maybe that's not really what was happening. So, you know, maybe it's like Fight Club when you get to the end and you realise, hang on, everything I thought was happening there wasn't really happening at all. But the more we think about it, the more we wonder. We wonder what the, the if what happened really happened. We wonder, are the good guys really good? Why do they act with way? Whose fault is this story? 
What would have happened if they'd done things differently? Well, ponder these questions as we look through this text. Now, this morning, I'm not going to protect you from your Bible, as one of my, as uh, one Bible scholar likes to say. He says, I'm not, I'm not going to protect you from your Bible. He's going to let it out. Too often, the preacher is seen as the one who will mediate the text for you. Uh, you know, it's, it's the preacher's job to kind of package it up and make it nice and neat for you. But I'm not going to do that for you. I'm not going to make it nice and easy to swallow. I'm not going to make any apparent contradictions disappear. Today, you're going to get your Bible unfiltered, as it is presented to you from the hand of God. God made it this way, and he delivered it to you this way, whether you like it or not. Whether we like it or not is practically irrelevant, because it's God's word to us. And we should bend to it. We God should bend us and shape us and mould us into the image of Christ, not try and make God's word fit our conceptions. So let's walk with Moses this morning. Let's follow his steps through this Middle Eastern odyssey. Let's see the saviour of Israel who dons his mantle and prepares for the magnificent battles ahead. We're going to see him receive the divine commission from God. He's on a mission from God. He's not getting the band back together. See him journey across countries with his family, stare death in the face, be reunited with his brother and bring a good news a gospel to his brothers in Israel. This story is God's Messiah on God's mission for God's salvation. So uh, last week we covered a pretty big portion of scripture where we saw, uh, you know, we saw Moses who was in the desert. He had moved out to Midian after running away from Egypt. He got married, he had kids, and he was out there tending the flock of his father-in-law when God appeared to him in a vision. He he called Moses to save Israel. And Moses basically said, look, I'm probably not the best guy for the job. You should send someone else. (laughs) But God had chosen Moses for a purpose. God knew what he was getting when he chose Moses. And he chose him anyway. And so Moses is sent out. And as a, as a condescension to Moses, as a, as a, a, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? As a concession to Moses, he sent Aaron to be Moses' mouthpiece. So he would speak for God. So Moses would speak for God to Aaron and Aaron would speak to the people. Probably would have been easier if you just cut out the middleman and Moses could just speak, but he doesn't get there quite yet. But Moses was going to be the representative for God to these people. And God told him to take the staff And he told him to go and to perform miraculous signs in Egypt. And this is where our story today picks up. God has just commissioned Moses to go. God has just appeared to him in the burning bush. And so our story picks up when Moses is heading back to Jethro to ask permission to leave. This intimidating moment where he met the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, has pushed him down this path, this journey. You know... This is Moses. I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have had some kind of identity crisis by now. He's, he's a born Israelite who was raised as, as an Egyptian and has now spent so many years living in Midian. He probably feels like a Midianite. But God called him out of that. God called him despite his, his past and called him to be a Messiah for Israel. So still reeling with the meeting from the Lord, Moses goes to see his father-in-law 
And he starts taking his first steps towards the mission of God. Let's read verse 18. Um, it says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please, go, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. So this is an unusual situation. Moses uh, is living in the household of his father-in-law and he goes and he, he gets permission uh, from his father-in-law to leave. It's polite, it's proper. Um, in these ancient contexts, there was no such things as companies and employers. You just had, you know, you had family units uh, in, in community and they would work together to care for one another and provide for the family. And so the boss was essentially the, the patriarchal head. And so... Moses goes to the head of the family to get permission, like going to your boss to get leave. But Jethro, when he gives permission for Moses to leave, he's not just thinking about um, Moses going. He has to grapple with the fact that he's sending away his wife, sorry, his uh, his daughter and his grandkids on this journey with Moses. And not only that, there's going to be the lost um, con- contributions that they give to the family, like who's going to look after the flocks if if Moses is off trundling to Egypt. But yet Jethro still gives permission. He says, yes, you can go. But wisely, Moses kind of leaves out the details about I'm off to save my people in Israel. He says, I'm off to see my family in Israel. Sorry, in Egypt. I mean, can you imagine if your son-in-law rocks up and he says, I've had a meeting with God and now I'm off to Egypt to challenge the most powerful man in the world with a walking stick. Now, I know I escaped there as a murderer, but I'd really love it if I could uh, head back and take your daughter and grandkids with me. It's a bit of an odd situation. So wisely, Moses says, look, I'd, I'd like to go back and to see my family. And left out the part about being their Messiah. So Jethro lets them go. And Moses gives them, so God gives Moses an encouragement. He's on the right track. You're going the right direction. In verse, verse 19, go back to Sorry, and the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So Moses, with with wife and kids in tow, sets out on the long journey across the desert to Egypt. But he doesn't go empty-handed. He takes the staff of God. And this rod was the symbol of, of power that God had given Moses. Now, we might be tempted to uh, doubt Moses' ability to follow through given his earlier reluctance to, to be spokesman of God. Yet, he takes these steps. It was probably a big deal for him to go to his father-in-law and ask permission and to pack up his family and start traveling back to a place where they were seeking his life a few decades earlier. And not only that, he's going back to meet his brothers and sisters who are in oppression, who've been oppressed by Pharaoh, who are trapped and enslaved. He's going back to a place where there's hurt. He's going back to a place where so many of his uh, age group were thrown into a river as infants. Yet despite the pain of the past and the uncertainty of the future, Moses trusted God. And he walked towards his promised destiny. Moses was God's Messiah on God's mission for God's salvation. Presumably on the way, as they were setting out, God speaks to Moses again. 
whether it's by a dream or a vision or an angel, we don't know. But God does remind Moses of his responsibility of what's ahead in the next verses. This will not be a walk in the park. Despite the fact that God is giving him divine backing and divine commission, he was on a mission from God, but God himself seems to be causing trouble with the plan. Read verse 21 with me. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Hang on a sec. Moses is probably thinking, what? You are sending me to save your people, but the bloke whose job it is to let them go, you're going to harden his heart? God's told him, do the work I have you to do, but it will be hampered by my actions. I mean, it strikes me as rather curious. Now, I told you I'm not going to protect you from your Bible. This is what it says. And as I read commentaries, it's interesting to see how many people kind of want to say yes, but not really. Well, it doesn't really say that, but it's plain as day. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So despite God's plan to rescue his people Israel, God's plan included putting up Pharaoh as a roadblock. He will harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh will be stubborn. He will be indignant. He will be proud. He will be unbending to the commands of God. Yet God will bring this to pass. Now, Pharaoh will only be acting in accordance with his heart's desires. Pharaoh's rebellion will be his own choosing, even as God predicts and causes it. But don't be fooled, brothers and sisters. The action of God are not constrained to our conception of the way that God should act. Because our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Even so, God calls on Moses to do everything he commanded, knowing that the words and signs would fall on deaf ears when it came to Pharaoh. It's kind of like if you read in Isaiah chapter 6 where God commissions Isaiah, he says, look, go and keep telling a people who will keep listening but never hear, and they will always be looking and they'll never see. God sends uh, his messengers out into a world of people who will reject. And this is still our world. This is still our world. We go out into a world where people will continually reject God's word. We live in the midst of so many hard hearts. Even our hearts have been hard towards God. We know that many will follow that broad path that leads to destruction. Even as we call to them and we say, turn, turn away. Even as we proclaim the gospel of Christ at God's command, still a great many people will run proudly to their doom. Like, like Pharaoh who will in a few months run headlong into the depths of the, uh, what is it, Red Sea. But there will be a great many who are saved. There will be a great many who hear the call. By the work of the Holy Spirit, many hearts will be softened to receive the salvation of God. But there might be a few dark hours before that day. We may call our brothers and our sisters, our parents, our friends, our family. We may call them by the love of God and warn them of the wrath of God. Even ten times. They might see signs and wonders from God. 
even a man raised from the dead, but unless their hearts are softened, they run to their deaths. But I urge you to submit yourself to the work of God's spirit so that your heart would be purified, your heart would be circumcised and made holy. Don't be like Pharaoh who hardened his heart. Don't be like Pharaoh who hardened his heart toward the command of God. Be open and responsive to God's word. God will redeem his people and he puts in place powerful signs to make it happen, even though it will be through bloodshed. As it says in verse 22 and 23, read with me. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So God expresses his love and his ownership of Israel to Moses. God loves his people like a firstborn son. Israel is like a son to God, not just like a son, but a firstborn son. In that, in that, in that day, that is the, um, the inheritor of the estate. The, he's the, he's the, um, the privileged son of those ancient societies. And God promises he will act towards Pharaoh in the same way that Pharaoh acts towards him. Look, if you're going to hold on to my firstborn son, I'm going to take your firstborn son away from you. God promises. And God is jealous for his people. They can serve no other master. No other people, uh, no other person can take hold of his people. Now, think about it. If God is jealous to redeem if God is jealous to redeem Israel to the temporal freedom of this life, how much more jealous will he be to redeem his church from the overlords of this world? God's church needs to be freed from the unholy trinity of Satan, sin, and death. And through our Messiah, like Moses before him, God proclaims, let my people go that they may serve me. And through Jesus Christ, we are set free. We are redeemed. Our Messiah disarmed the powers of darkness. Our Messiah releases the captives and sets them free. Our Messiah opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Our Messiah, like Moses, is God's Messiah on God's mission. And he will give us God's salvation. So to recap so far, we've seen Moses take his first steps out on this journey. He has gone, he's got permission, he's left home, he's out on the way. God has reassured him and reminded him of the path that he's on. Yet he has to face the hard realities of God's powerful plan. And it's not as simple and straightforward as we might long for. Yet... If these last couple of verses hadn't been in your face enough about killing children and um, uh, and about and about hardening hearts, we get these these strange next couple of verses. It happens at a at a lodging place on the way. You know, you might think a motel somewhere where they pull up for the night, uh, where they can rest. Let's read verse. 24 to 26. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. 
So he let him alone. And it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. I was sitting down and I was thinking, what's the first question to ask about this? Where do you start? I, but I promise this morning not to protect you from your Bible. I'm not going to offer you some neat interpretation that packages up this little episode nicely. Because this passage is unclear, fundamentally unclear. No one has a consensus of what is actually going on here. The first question is, who is him? Is him Moses or is him the son? Who, what is a bridegroom of blood? And who is the bridegroom of blood? Is it Moses or is it the son? Why does Zipporah do the circumcision? It should have been Moses doing the job. Why does God seek to kill them on their way to do God's work? Now, the uncertainty in the text can be somewhat disturbing, but this is the way that God has given it to us. And we trust that even in the midst of this uncertainty that God is at work by his word and that he has something to say to us through it. So even though the details of this little scenario are unclear, what is clear is the outcome. There are some clear implications written into the fabric of this strange story. See, Moses is, is God's messenger. Moses is the redeemer of Israel, but he failed. He neglected to prepare for what was ahead. He had done the polite and sensible thing. He had gone and prepared for um, the family stuff. He had gone and asked permission. He had done the, the good thing of preparing by getting a donkey to so his family could travel. But he hadn't prepared them spiritually. Moses had not circumcised his son as he was supposed to do. Now, this is the, the man who was sent by God, but he hadn't given the covenant sign to his son. If you look back in Genesis, you'll see that God gave a covenant to, to, to Abraham, that uh, he would make him a great nation and he would bless the world through his offspring. But the sign of that promise was that the people, the offspring of Abraham, the sons, would take the sign of circumcision, that they were, it would show to the world that they are holy. It was a permanent thing that showed them as set apart under the promise of God. They were special, they were holy, they belonged to God. And if you were an outsider who actually wanted to join this people group, you had to go through, as if you're a man who was um, an outsider who wanted to go into this people group, you had to take that covenant sign. I'm sure they didn't have any problems with easy believism and people just kind of wandering in and out of the church. Now Moses, who is helping to bring these promises to fruition, Moses is helping to bring about God's promises to Abraham but he is not giving the sign of the promises to his own son. We don't know why Moses failed to do this. There's conjecture. Maybe in his time in Midian, he'd become kind of a bit more relaxed about the whole thing, wasn't really worried about it. Maybe he had wanted to give the sign of the covenant to his son, but maybe there was pushback from Zipporah or Jethro. All we know for sure is that it was left undone. But because of this, God sets out to kill him. How? I don't know. It could have been a warning in a dream that he would be killed. It could have been, he could have become very sick, nearing death. There could have been angels that rocked up, ready to slay them. Needless to say, when they figured out what the problem was, that God was setting out to kill them, they got onto that in the nick of time. 
Zipporah grabbed a flint knife and did the deed. And so by this, Moses' son is made holy. This circumcision shows his belonging to God. By the blood, he is joined to God's promises. Now, innocent blood saves the family. No longer do they need to fear the wrath of God. And, and this, this episode hints at something that is coming in, in future chapters in Exodus. Soon the unfolding story of Exodus will present another episode where God seeks to kill the son, all the firstborn sons, except those who are covered by the blood of innocent lambs. Those who belong to God are shielded by the blood. And you know what? It's the same for us. We are shielded by the blood. We are redeemed by the blood of the innocent one. Not the blood of circumcision, not the blood of a physical lamb, but our spiritual lamb, Christ. His innocent blood was shed to cover his people. Those who call on his name, those who are loyal to Jesus may be covered and protected by his blood. We may receive the promises of God by the blood of Jesus. We belong to God under his blood. And we no longer need to fear the wrath of God if we were under Christ. So we need to receive Christ. We need to receive his body and blood delivered up for us. So open your hearts and receive the love of Christ who died to draw you to himself. Thankfully, we no longer need to receive the sign of circumcision to show that we belong to God. But we got a new sign. When Jesus rocked up, he gave us a new sign for belonging to God. We have a new sacrament that says to the world, I belong to Jesus, the Messiah. And that sacrament is baptism. That ordinance, that sign is baptism. Baptism says, I am washed, I am purified, and I am made holy, and I belong to Jesus. And as we've just seen with this episode with Moses at the motel, God doesn't stand, God can't abide half-hearted loyalty. Think with me a moment. I want you to reflect in your own life. How are you operating with half-hearted loyalty? How have you neglected to prepare yourself to serve God? How have you neglected to prepare your family to serve God? If you belong to Jesus, have you been baptized? This is the sign that you belong to him. And if you haven't taken the sign, I encourage you to take the sign as commanded by God. But if you have been baptized, don't think, I'm all all good. I want you to think about the ways in which you may be half-heartedly working towards God. Do you see serving God as a kind of a, a a side thing, something we do on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night or Monday or Tuesday or Thursday, as it may be? How are you half-heartedly serving God? Are you, to use the cliche, are you sold out for Jesus? Or do you want to kind of reserve some of this life for yourself? How have you neglected to prepare your heart to be fully loyal to God? Now, I'm sure it will be a different scenario for each of us, but I just want you to think about that. I want you to take it seriously. It was enough for, for Moses, the bloke who was being sent by God, for God to kill some be sent to kill someone in his family, whether it was him or his son. God was set out 
to purify that family. Back to the story with Moses. Zipporah calls her son, or Moses, whichever it is, a relative by blood. So this is where we get this term, a bridegroom of blood. Now the Hebrew, again, is still unclear here, but it is clear that they were a family. And they were not really, now, after this episode, they were not merely related just as relatives, as family, but they were related under the promises of God by blood. And don't think that this statement, when 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 Zipporah took, calls Moses a bright, or the son a bridegroom of blood to me, don't think of it as like a negative statement. It's not like she's trying to call him names or she's not complaining. She's just stating that they are now sharing a relationship under God's covenant promises through blood. They are relatives under the promises in the same way that you and I are relatives under God. Even though I'm not related by blood to any of you, I'm related by the blood of Christ to all of you. Now that uh, Moses has his house in order, he's free to continue as God's Messiah on God's mission, bringing God's salvation to Israel. His journey continues after this interlude on the way. They depart this, this, this lodging place, this stop for the night, and they continue their journey on God's mission so that they can get started with the Messiah's work. But God wasn't leaving anything up to chance. Uh, he, he sent Aaron out to meet Moses. If Moses needed any more confirmation, as if it wasn't clear enough already, he meets his brother who he hasn't seen in years in the middle of the desert at a mountain. They're out in the wilderness and he runs into his brother as God had told him he would. What a coincidence. Read verse 27 and 28 with me. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of God with which he'd sent him to speak, all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Here we have this joyful reunion. These brothers, they get to come back together after all these years. They probably haven't seen each other for decades. And God sends them to meet at the mountain where they would bring the redeemed Israel in a few weeks or months. They joyfully meet and Moses, as a representative of God, delivers the message to Aaron. Now you remember at the end of our last passage, God said, to Moses, I will send Aaron and he will be your mouthpiece. I will, you will be as God to him. You will be, I will give you the words and you'll give them to Aaron and Aaron will be the spokesman. And so here that starts the scenario, starts with Moses talking to Aaron and telling him everything that God had told him. We followed Moses from this burning bush to Jethro and then he's across the desert through the trials of the lodging place to the mountain of God. And now Moses, together with Aaron, they begin the final stage of their journey. They go to Egypt and they gather together the elders and they share the good news. They share the gospel that Moses was bringing to them, that God had heard their cries and he was going to free them from their bondage. God had heard their groaning. God had seen their suffering and God sent Moses with this good news, this gospel that he would free them from this. God sent a redeemer. God has sent help. God sent a way into new life for the Israelites. Read verses 29 to 31 with me. Then Aaron and Moses 
went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. These people are humbled. They respond to God in worship. They receive this good news and they, they turn to God in worship. They see the signs that Moses brought. They saw these divine signs that pointed to the message. Moses had tried before to liberate Israel. You remember before he fled to Midian, he thought that he was going to be the guy that freed Israel from their bondage. And he was right. But he went about it the wrong way. He went out in his own strength and he murdered an Egyptian overseer. But this time, he returns with a divine commission. He returns in God's power, in God's strength. He comes not in his own strength, but God's. Not on his own terms, but God's terms. Not with his own plan, but God's plan. This time, he would be the Messiah who will not try to redeem his people by killing an Egyptian supervisor, but instead he will face up against the most powerful man in the land. He will overthrow that tyrant through the power of God. This Messiah brings a gospel, a good news to the weak and oppressed, the downtrodden and the needy. And as we've been talking about, this Messiah foreshadows our Messiah who brings a gospel to the oppressed, those oppressed under sin, those who are in bondage to death. He liberates and redeems. This Messiah comes with wonders and miraculous signs that demonstrate his divine commission. But the promise was not about the signs and wonders themselves. Even though Jesus did all kinds of miracles, they pointed to who he was and what he had come to do. If God can turn a a stick into a snake... And, and Jesus can turn water into wine, then surely we can trust him with the redemption of our souls. God's Messiah on God's mission will give us God's salvation. So just to recap where we've been, we've talked about Moses who's come out on this journey. He's come out of exile. He ran away after trying things in his own strength. But now God, having waited until the time was right, is sending Moses back in with his message. And and we see this transitional stage where Moses comes out, he gets permission from from Jethro, and he heads um, across the desert. He, uh, He was reminded of God's powerful plan, and that it wasn't going to go according to what we would normally think or normally plan for, but it was God's plan. We saw that Moses had neglected to prepare his family he had neglected to give his, his family the sign of the covenant, his son. But after rectifying that and being set aside, being, being circumcised, being prepared, they went to the Messiah's work. They met Aaron at, uh, at the mountain and they went into Egypt and they started the work of bringing this good news. They started the work of preparing these people for redemption. Their Messiah was Moses, but our Messiah is Jesus. And he did a similar thing. He journeyed with us for a while. 
He came out of the desert with good news of God on his lips. He came to his people bound under sin in bondage to death. He came with the gospel of life. And as we see in following weeks, like the Moses, the Messiah before him, our Christ faced off against the rulers of this world. He defeated the dark spiritual forces. And in the power of God, he comes out victorious over death. He redeems us from death to life. Jesus is our Messiah. Jesus is God's Messiah on God's mission who brings God's salvation to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that you sent a Messiah to us to redeem us from Satan's sin and death. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you redeemed those people of old and you sent a, a, you sent a messenger to them. You sent a prophet to them. You sent one who would mediate a covenant with them to redeem them out of Israel. And we thank you for the same thing that you sent to us. Lord, but our, our Messiah is greater. He is not a mere man, but he is the God-man Christ who redeems our souls, who redeems our lives, who frees us from the sin that afflicts us, frees us from death which hangs over us in this world. We thank you that we can have new life through this Messiah. We thank you that we can receive the good news from this Messiah, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that we would not just hold on to this ourselves, but we would seek to see so many others come and to receive this good news. Please, Lord, stir us up to call others to this to this good news, that they can they can be free from slavery, they can be free from bondage, they can be free to to new life in Christ. We thank you, and we praise you, in Jesus' name, Amen.